Well, hello, everyone. It is good to be with you. And let me add my welcome to Cody's uh, and to your campus pastor, wherever you are gathered uh, this morning. It is great to be with you as we enter the most significant week on the Christian calendar, right? Holy Week. What a special week it is for those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and to celebrate Palm Sunday today as well as a treat. The day that Jesus showed up in Jerusalem to offer himself officially as king. And while on Sunday, Jerusalem was ecstatic and excited about the prospect of that, by Friday, Jerusalem was enraged. They were mad at him. They crucified him. Why? Why such a turn? Well, they, they missed him. They, they missed who he is. They missed uh, who he truly is, what he truly offers. They, they missed God when he personally showed up and offered himself and life under his rule to them. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to miss God when he shows up, especially if he steps on your toes and your plans for God. It's easy to do it. It reminds me of little George. Little George had a sore throat, and he couldn't go to church one Sunday. And he never missed church, and this Sunday was Palm Sunday. And so he was very, very sad. And when the rest of his siblings came home, they returned carrying palm branches and singing Hosanna. Such fun. And so he asked one of his siblings, you know, what, what's that all about? What, what is it? What did I miss? And his brother said, well, the people held these palm branches over Jesus' head as he passed by. Poor George was stunned at that and, and saddened by that. And he went into his mom and he said, mom, wouldn't you know it? The one day I miss church and Jesus shows up. <laughs> Poor George, he missed church and he missed Jesus, and that's sad, but what's even more tragic is the amount of people who show up at church and still miss Jesus. They miss God when he shows up personally to offer them life. Well, today there's a few words of Jesus that I don't want you to miss. In the middle of Holy Week, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a series of conversations that Jesus has with some of Jerusalem's religious leaders. I, it's on Wednesday, I believe, so I call it Holy Week's Provocative Wednesday because Jesus is quite provocative that day when he interacts in these conversations with these people and he does it in what was their church, the temple. And the, the conversation really revolves around the issue of what does God want? What does God want from us? It's a great question, a question that you should regularly be thinking about. What does God want from me? What does God want from us? And so on Provocative Wednesday, Jesus interacts with these people on that. So turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. I want to show you what's there, and I want to particularly show you what is the climax of that series of conversations because therein lies something that Jesus doesn't want you to miss this holy week. 
So Mark chapter 12, if you turn there in your scriptures, or even if you pull out your sermon notes, you're going to see a little chart that's there. I just want to sort of get you up to speed with what, what is happening contextually so that you get what it is that it climaxes with on Provocative Wednesday. If you look at the end of chapter 11 in the Gospel of Mark and into 12, you're going to see that the, the, the theme that begins to be launched there revolves around loyalty. What does it mean to be loyal to God or, or to be disloyal to God? What does it mean to give God what he wants or to not give God what he wants? And, and we have an interaction that Jesus has with some leaders there, and it exposes their disloyalty to God. The issue centers around authority, and Jesus gives some teaching, and then he presents a parable. But he is essentially saying that the religious leaders are disloyal to God because they reject God's Son. And Jesus has come into Jerusalem presenting himself as the Messiah, and more, that the Messiah is actually God's Son. And then in chapter 12, verses 13 and, and on to 17, it continues with the theme of loyalty and disloyalty, but now it turns to a conversation that revolves around taxation and politics and life. And, and they're trying to test Jesus, and Jesus essentially says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, because his image is born in those coins, but, but you've got to give God what's God's, and God's image is in your life. You are a taxation to God. Give God what he deserves. They don't like that either. And so then another group comes along and interacts with him and tries to sort of discredit him. And that issue revolves around the scriptures and loyalty to God in, in light of what you do with the word of God. And they're trying to trip him up on the issue of the resurrection. That's silly. Who would believe that? And Jesus essentially says, read your Bible. God can do that, and God says that there is a resurrection that is to come. And then we arrive at the central passage in these churchy temple controversies in Mark 12. Provocative uh, Wednesday. And it revolves around loyalty to God and the greatest commandment. If you remember, that's the interaction that Jesus has with a scribe. This scribe comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? And he takes them to Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, this very well-known summary of the entire law of God, that you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. All, 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 all to God, always. It's... It's a summary of, of loving God and loving people. That's it. You're to love God and you're to love people. And this scribe says, I agree 100%. In fact, he says that's more important than doing all the churchy activities that are also quite good, like, like going to church and singing songs to God and tithing. Loving God and loving people is much more important than all of that put together. But then Jesus presses in. And he says, what you need to do in order to love God and love people is you need to sell everything that you possess and give it all to the poor. And this man can't do that. He can't do this. I can't give you, God, my all. Not if my all means all. 
There's got to be some limits. And so he leaves sad. That's followed on Provocative Wednesday with, a, with an interaction that Jesus has with some of the religious leaders where he essentially says this, you know what I mean by love God? I mean that you've got to be loyal to the one that King David declares to be Lord, and that's his son. And Jesus is presented himself as David's son, the rightful heir to David's throne. That infuriates them. And now we arrive at the shores of, of the climax of chapter 12, where Jesus essentially stops teaching them what God wants, and he now says, I'm going to give you two real-life illustrations. I'm not going to give you parables. I'm going to give you two concrete illustrations of what it means to be loyal to God, of what it means to be disloyal to God, of what it means to give God what he wants, and what it means to not give God what he wants. Two wonderful illustrations that you cannot miss this Holy Week. Just two important. Illustration number one, what does God not want? Illustration number two, what does God want? Let, let, me, let me help you understand these extremely important words in Jesus' last few days. It's, it's just too important. Let's, let's look at the first of the illustrations in Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Turn to verse 38, where illustration number one, I've sort of caught onto this little phrase, what Jesus warns. There's a warning that really is the first illustration. What God does not want from those who claim to be followers of God. Look at verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. It's a warning. Beware of the scribes. Jesus is very blunt here. He actually singles them out. He points to them. Uh, he's not going to take any nonsense anymore from them. And he says, watch out for them. Watch out for those people. Uh, scribes are essentially their lawyers. You know, that, 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 un, that group that's, that's really unpopular historically, right? Lawyers. Uh, they're lawyers, but they're a little bit different than lawyers today because they're experts in the law, but the law then is the law of God. It's the law of God that is the law that, they, that they've become experts in, and that's why most scribes were Pharisees, and Pharisees were essentially Bible teachers, pastors. The preachers in the community that help people understand God's word and how to live it out. Most scribes were Pharisees. In fact, in Matthew 23, Matthew's version of these few verses, he gives it an entire chapter. He calls them the Pharisees. Watch out for the Pharisees. Jesus isn't just turning tables, remember. He, he's trying to turn people's understanding of what it means to be godly. To, to give God what he wants. And he's essentially saying, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like that. He warns against them. Don't, don't elevate them as an example to emulate and to copy. Stay away from them. Don't make them the template of godliness that you're going to align your life along with. It's, it's very inflammatory, <laughs> provocative Wednesday. 
Look at verse 38 again. So beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and they like greetings in the marketplaces, that's the public squares, and have the best seats in the synagogues at their church, essentially, and and the places of honor at feasts. They want to be VIPs at the public events, but look at verse 40. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. This is really inflammatory. What he's saying is, you you look at what they wear, and you look at at how they walk around the place, and you look at what they want, and you look at their long-winded words, and you think, boy, that's an example of godliness, but it's not. It's not what Jesus says. They, They wear churchy clothes so that they can appear godly. They walk around in public spaces because they can't sit at home too long, and it's not because they're extroverts. It's because no one gives them the attention and the acclamation that they want at home. It's just dad there. No, they they need people out there, and they need people out there to worship them, and and likes and, and heart emojis haven't been invented yet. And so they need to go out where the people are at to receive the the applause that they so desire. And and they want positions and places in society that, that grant them attention and status and importance. They need to stand out, and their words in prayer are just filled with with Christianese, right? Just, just long-winded prayers that, that con people around them, but in reality, these people are abusing the ones that they're praying for, the widows, that have come to them for help as experts in the law of God. Jesus is essentially saying, don't live to appear to be godly like that lot. They're charlatans, they're swindlers, they're smooth-talking frauds. It's all a sham. And I can see right through it, though it looks good. It really bothers Jesus. Do you get the sense that it really bothers Jesus? This really bothers Jesus. He essentially calls them hypocrites in chapter 23 of Matthew. At some point, read that chapter. An entire chapter is Mark's version of these three verses. And Jesus is brutal in what he singles out about these people supposed followers of God. The strongest words really are for churchy-looking people who, who show up in churchy places and, and sing churchy songs and, and pray godly prayers or seemingly godly prayers and even teach God's word, but they don't live it. They don't really live it. It's, it's hypocrisy. Jesus goes after hypocrisy. His harshest words are for hypocrites. And let me give you an analogy. In my mind, there is no better analogy for a hypocrite. This is just my opinion. You can completely disagree. Than a peacock. You know the bird? I think that, that bird is the most hypocritical creature I've ever seen in my life. They're the, the epitome of hypocrisy. They're, they're a good-looking bird, but they're not really a bird, are they? I mean, they, 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 they strut around, not the regular streets of the common man, but just hotels, fancy hotels. <laughs> the really fancy hotels and, and zoos. 
I mean, they, they don't get put in cages. They can walk around the zoo and parade their, their beautiful plumage uh, so, that, so that we can all admire them. Ooh, wow, how beautiful. In fact, if you go to a nice hotel and there's a peacock or the zoo and there's a peacock, they tend to walk up to you and wait as if to say, would you hurry up and take my picture? They're, they're posers. They're not really birds. You know, they don't really fly. They just get off the ground a few feet, and, and they don't supply what we need for our breakfast tacos, right? Scrambled eggs. And they don't supply Chick-fil-A with meat for their nuggets. They don't even nibble the scraps that you drop at the zoo or in the plush hotel. Peacocks are, are showmen. Peacocks are, are posers. They, they advertise beauty of a bird, but they're not really birds in my opinion. Peacocks are hypocrites. <laughs> I love the story of the pastor who visited a, an elderly woman in his church. And, and I love it because it reminds me of how easily it is to fall for that which presents itself as what it really isn't. He was visiting this, this lady, and she was an old lady, and he noticed on the coffee table there was a bowl of peanuts and he was a little bit hungry, so he said to her, you know, do you mind if I have a few of those, uh, those lovely peanuts? They seem to have a little glistening glaze uh, uh, that, that's sort of appealing, and I'm a little bit hungry. And she said, oh, no, work away at it. No problem. So he did, and they chatted away. And, and when he got up to leave, he said, you know what? I, I realize that I've, I've really eaten all your peanuts. I'm, I'm so, so sorry. I only meant to eat a few, but it looks like I've nearly eaten the whole bowl. And she said, well, that's fine. Ever since I lost my teeth, all I can do is just suck the chocolate off them and then put the nut back in the bowl. <laughs> oh, man. Peanuts that look good, but they'll turn your stomach, right? Peacocks that parade themselves as birds. Churchy-looking people who believe they are what God wants, but it's a facade. It's a veneer, and it turns God's stomach. And Jesus has his harshest words for that type of follower of God. They're hypocrites. It really bothers them, and he warns them, don't be like that. Don't become like that. They know God's word. They enforce God's word. They know that God wants all of me always, but they don't live like that. They don't love God. They love themselves. They don't love people. They exploit people. They ignore the plights of those people who are sitting around them. And here's the thing, back to verse 40, 40b, just the last phrase there, what God will do with hypocrisy, it says, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus singles them out, exposes them for what they are, and then he says, they will be punished. You will not get away with it. You may be able to con those around you, but you cannot con God. You cannot con God. He sees right through it. So don't miss this truth. Illustration number one is a warning. Jesus detests religious-looking self-promotion. He detests it. Fake followers. 
Well, now look at illustration number two, because illustration number one is what God detests, but illustration number two is what God desires, what God wants. Illustration two, what Jesus wants. Look at verse 41, just the beginning section there. And he, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus sits to people watch. It's, it's really fun to people watch. I don't know if you've ever done that at an airport or in some sort of mall or a public space. Uh, during the spring break on St. Patrick's Day, ironically, we were at one of my top picks of places in the world that I never want to visit again. Six Flags. First time we'd been there. Uh, uh, I think it should be in Dante's Inferno, some sort of <laughs> section there. That, that uh, A redeeming feature of being at Six Flags for me when you're queuing up for hours on end for a sh- little event that's going to make your stomach turn is people watching. Watching people. I mean, uh, people are wonderful and people are weird. It's incredible. One of the things that stood out of many was how everybody was projecting messages on their t-shirts. And some of them are very funny, and some of them are very sad, and some of them are very rude. But the, the most common one, hundreds of them that day, St. Patrick's Day, was luck of the Irish. And I felt like going up to every one of them and saying, listen, I am actually Irish, and I do not feel lucky today I'm in Six Flags. So could you please stop rubbing it in my face? You learn a lot about people, just just people watching. And and Jesus people watches. And listen, Jesus is people watching a church, the temple. That's going to make you sit up. Jesus watches you. And at offering time, that's going to make you sweat. Jesus is watching. You see, people's giving is very revealing. Revealing of of what? Revealing of your loyalties. This is provocative Wednesday. And giving and and where your wallet goes is very revealing of where your heart is. You give to what you love. And so Jesus sits down opposite the treasury and he watches people as they give. And in the courtyard where the treasury war was, there were 13 sort of offering plates, and they, and they were like a trumpet-shaped instrument that kind of fell into a, a box, like a, like a funnel. And people would throw their money in there, and it would rattle around and then make its way down and, into the box. And, and we believe that they were primarily free will offerings, because the temple tax that was required had to be noted and recorded, so it's probably not what's happening here at this point. People are just giving free will offerings, and, and they have no paper currency, so you, you can make a real show of your giving, because people can hear how many coins are dropping into that box. And so Jesus is watching, and look what he observes, 41, just the second half there. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
So Jesus sees two things, lots of people, lots of rich people putting in lots of money. And that's a good thing, right? If it's rightly motivated, if God has blessed you with stuff and with financial resources, then it is good and appropriate and godly for you to give. And that's what he observes. But then he notices a second thing, this wee widow. And you've got to understand in that world what that means. She has no husband, which means in that world she has no status. And she has no job. And she has no income. And we're told, just in case you miss it, that she is poor. She actually can't afford to give free will offerings. But she does. And in light of the fact that it's positioned right beside illustration number one, she might even be an example of the type of people that the hypocrite exploits, the type of widow that they devour. And she presumably goes in here unnoticed amongst the Lord and massive crowds because it's Passover week. She's not going to be greeted She's not going to get VIP treatment, and she approaches the little offering box, puts her little hand into her purse, and she drops in two very small copper coins, which we know are worth just a little bit above nothing. One 128th of a denarius, which is a day's salary or wage for an average worker. Way less than a dollar. In fact, the old English version, uh, the King James included, it refers to it as mites, two mites. That's why you know this story as the widow's mite. Mite comes from the French word for crumbs. She puts in crumbs. Nothing. A little bit above nothing. And yet, look at, look at verse 43. Look what Jesus sees when he watches. And he called his disciples to him. And he said to them, truly I say to you, that's a big massive, listen up. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. That word for all there in the Greek is very important. Just for those of you who want to study a little bit more, just, just believe me, it's rooted in the word pass. All pass. So he put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Verse 44, for they all, also from past, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything. The word is actually past, it's all. She's put in all she had. All, again, she had to live on, except that that last all she had to live on, the word for all is no longer past. It's a different word. It's a word called holos. There's two words in Greek for the one word in English, all. And that's significant, and I'll hang tight. I'll tell you why in a second. But that last phrase is actually not all she had to live on, which kind of focuses on her financial giving. That last phrase actually is all her life, all she is. It's all going down into that offering plate. There's nothing more in me to give. It's all her life. Now, I don't know if Jesus grabbed the little woman and hugged her and brought her to the disciples. The text doesn't tell us, but what we do know is that this insignificant little lady, not the religious leaders, not the big financial givers becomes the embodiment, the illustration, the real life concrete example of what God wants from his disciples. 
from all of us who follow Jesus on provocative Wednesday. Why? How is it? In my opinion, how is it, Lord, that a little bit above nothing is what you want? How is it that, that giving you crumbs is what you want? You know, crumbs aren't going to pay church salaries. Crumbs, crumbs aren't going to pay the AC bill. They're not going to build extensions. They're not going to fund global missions. What's going on here? You see, for Jesus, for God, it's not about the, the quantity of monetary giving that exposes your loyalty to God. God doesn't need people's money. The church does, but God doesn't need it. And, and because the church does, God makes sure that he's instructed us to tithe. But, but God measures loyalty to him not through your quantity, but through the quality of your giving. He, he's watching the heart. He's reading the heart. In fact, in verse 41, it doesn't say this in the ESV, which is what I've been reading. It actually tells us in, in the Greek that Jesus was watching how they gave, not what they gave, how they gave, the inner motives, the, 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 the inner inclinations and dispositions of the heart, because that's where loyalties lie. For Jesus, they, the rich, all give what they will never miss, but she gave what she will definitely miss. They gave a portion of their surplus, 10, 20, 50% perhaps, but they can still go home and maybe stop off somewhere and grab a bite to eat, maybe have a bath at night and put their feet up and shout at the television at night, but she can't. She's not given out of her surplus. She's given out of sacrifice. She's given all. That little bit above nothing. Those crumbs that she gave to God were 100% of all she had. All her life. Genuine devotion to God. Genuine loyalty to God is measured in sacrificial living. Not monetary financial giving. God's metric for for. For loyalty to him, how God defines what a big giver is, is the pouring out of your life for God. So Jesus watches and he, and he weighs the heart. And she's the real deal. She's the one I want you all to be like, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. In my head, she's no peacock. She's a pigeon. Hang with me. Think about it. Pigeons. Yeah, you heard me. Pigeons, they're ugly birds, but they're good birds. They really are good birds. Think about it. They're humble. They're insignificant. They're unnoticeable, really. They don't, they, they, they don't roam about zoos and, and plush hotels. Nobody brings them in to impress people, but they're everywhere. And, and pigeons, did you know that pigeons, long before we had email, Pigeons were the way of transmitting messages across huge distances. Long before there was Twitter, limited characters, you could write a little note on a pigeon's foot and send it out to France or send it out to, I don't know, Mexico, and it would take the message. Pigeons are incredible. Pigeons can fly not a few feet. Pigeons can fly about a thousand miles. That's a real bird, Mr. Peacock. 
It can fly. Birds are meant to fly. It can fly. Did you know that, that pigeons have a, an internal navigation system that is connected with the electric magnetic forces of the earth so that they can actually get to where they want and know it? The remarkable creature. That's long before you had, I don't know, Google Maps and your iPhone. These are incredible little creatures. They clean our streets because they do eat up the scraps that we drop. And they even, I've noticed this. When I'm driving down the road and there's a pigeon, the pigeon plays chicken with me. It does. And I think, oh my goodness, I must have run over this chicken because it never moved. How courageous. And then you look back and, the, and the, 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 the pigeon had the ability to just hop away. It's a remarkable little creature. Even though it's ugly, it is a bird. It's the real deal. This unnamed little widow is, is like a pigeon. She's the real deal. You'd never notice her, but she's the real deal. And she's, she's unaware that the eyes of Almighty God are upon her on church that day. That she was God's choice illustration, not just for the disciples, but for anyone who claims to be a follower of God, of what it means to follow God. Be like her, Jesus says. Don't miss that. I told you earlier there's a lot packed into that last phrase. Let me explain that. All her life, holos her life, not past her life. Why, why would the last phrase in that massive sequence suddenly shift the word all from what's been used so far to this new one? Well, the answer is because that's the one word that's used for all in the central teaching of provocative Wednesday in Mark 12. Mark 12, uh, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 30, where it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all, holos, your heart, and with all, holos, your soul, and with all, holos, your mind, and with all, holos, your strength, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this, and she did that. All holos her life. That's the literary way of making the connection. That, that she's the illustration of what it means to give God what he wants. She's the human illustration of the greatest commandment. She loved God self-sacrificially, and she loved people self-sacrificially because she's giving a free will offering. She does not have to put that into that offering plate. In fact, she's two coins. She could have kept one and still given 50%. It's remarkable. That's precisely what Jesus wants because in a few days, he too is going to show us the divine example of the greatest commandment, what it means to love God and what it loves, means to love people in the giving of himself. So illustration number two, what Jesus wants, it's this. Jesus desires self-sacrificial devotion. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus desires self-sacrificial devotion. That's what the scribe could not give Jesus when Jesus invited him to follow after him. I can't give you my all. There's got to be limits. But that's exactly what this lady gives to Jesus, to God, all her life. So one little application in closing, our time is gone. This is what I want you to take into Holy Week. And, and, and there's a little sticky image alongside of it just to, to remind you of 
it. I want you to make sure that you don't miss Jesus' real-life illustrations. They're just too important. Perhaps this Wednesday, carve out some time and read this little section of Scripture again. Don't miss Jesus' real-life illustrations. Ask yourself this question this week and ask it and answer it honestly. Am I a peacock or am I a pigeon? I'm serious. Are you a peacock or are you a pigeon as it relates to being a follower of Jesus? We reflect this week upon what God gives us. But Jesus is very clear that he doesn't want you to miss what God wants you to give him. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, essentially all your life. All of it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because it, it's, 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 it's clear and it is powerful. And it, 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 it reminds us of what you want from us in life. And I pray that this will be the case for everybody who has heard us, us today through song, through prayer, through the opening up of your word. And that there are people here who don't know what it means to begin to give you their all, that they would come and ask, because that begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ, the true King. We celebrate him today. And I pray that as we go out into this holy week, that we will carve out time to reflect upon what you have done for us and what you would like us to give back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.